0: Well, good morning, good to be with you. And for those of you at at home on live stream, good to have you with us as well. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about fishing. Do we have any fishermen in here? Hi, Gina, good to see you, sweetie. Any fishermen? No fishermen? Okay, a few. All right, thank you, Mark. Well, when I was a a lad growing up uh, about an hour north of Indianapolis, this was the pole that my grandfather used. He actually had another extension that was at home, but it was hard to get it all here, so this is just part of it. But uh, this was the cane pole, and this is how he taught me to fish. Alec, man, I haven't seen you forever, man. Good to see you. Uh, Granted, get on me for being personal like this instead of just moving on with the message, but he's not here, so I'm good. You know, so uh, we didn't have rod and reels and those kind of things, but we just find a little creek that had some, you know, some some carp or some of that good-eating fish, you know, or or maybe a sunfish or catfish or something like that and the most dangerous thing about using a pole like this is just to make sure you don't get too close to the edge and fall in that's about the worst thing that can happen and you don't get the line tangled so much cuz it's just a little a few feet and just pull it up and catch the fish so that was my early experience in fishing and i think my grandfather i don't know that we caught a whole bunch of fish but we had a really great time just getting to know one another and just enjoying life it was great as I got older, I had some friends that were actually real fishermen, and they had boats. And so I started going out on some boats and doing some some fishing, just in small ponds and small creeks, that kind of thing. And uh, so I, I did notice that with a boat, there's a little more to manage than just standing on a bank with a pole. Uh, first of all, if you're in a boat with somebody else, uh, the main thing to make sure you don't you don't do is to hook the other person with the hook. <laughs> That's not a lot of fun trying to get a hook out of another guy's ear or your ear, so I only did that once or twice. But anyway, uh, the other thing you have to worry about is the boat drifts. Even if you're on a pond and it doesn't seem like it's a windy day or there's not many waves, if you sit in a spot long enough, eventually there'll be a little wind or some waves that will you'll drift. And you have to make sure you don't drift to the shore and, you know, damage the boat or something like that. And, I, you know, but that wasn't really a big deal. Places I went, you know, you could drift over and you just paddle back out and maybe go to another little inlet or something like that. But uh, when I got to California, my first pastorate, we lived near a man-made lake called Berryessa. Anybody been to, have you guys been to Berryessa at all? And Berryessa had a big dam because it was a man-made lake, and they put a dam and just, you know, bottled up the water, made a lake out of it. And the dam had a huge hole that was maybe, I don't know, 50 yards from the dam. And when the water table got high enough in this man-made lake, instead of having spillways, it went into this big drain. And then it went down into the bottom, uh, into the bottom of the, the dam and then came, was shot out the other side into a river that was there. Do you know what they called that big hole? The glory hole. Now, you can probably imagine why they called that the glory hole. It was kind of glorious from a distance, but if you got too close, uh, you may enter glory sooner than you had expected. So when you were out on a boat on Lake Berryessa and you saw, you know, the glory hole, you wanted to make sure you didn't get too close because water is spilling into this hole if the, if the, if the lake is up high enough. And you have to watch where you're drifting or else you might be in real danger. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the danger of drifting from the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the good news of Christ. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, that um, God saves sinners and that you have chosen us and brought us into your kingdom, Father. We love you and thank you for that. Father, thank you for these warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And as we come to the first warning passage today, I pray, Lord, that we will pay attention, that we will not neglect the message of Christ, we will not neglect the gospel, that it will be our anchor that we hold on to through tough times. And I pray, Lord, that we would not drift from it. So just teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're not already there, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2. We've been in chapter 1 the last three weeks, and now we're heading into the first four verses of chapter 2, the first warning passage. There's five warning passages, by the way, in Hebrews, so this is the first one. And let's look at the first verse there, Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, why should we pay much closer attention to what we've heard? Well, chapter 1 gives us the answer, all right? Here's why we should pay much closer attention to what we have heard, which, by the way, is referring to the great salvation of the gospel that God has given us. We should pay much closer attention because God has spoken, That's the first reason. God has spoken, and He's spoken to us by His Son. And because His Son, Jesus, is the heir of all things, in other words, He possesses all things, including us, and because all things were created by Him and for Him, and because He's the radiance of the glory of God, He reflects the exact nature of God, and because He's the exact imprint of God's nature, which, in other words, He's fully God, and because He upholds the universe by the word of His power, And because his shed blood is the only thing that can purify us from our sins, and because he sat down at the Father's right hand to rule and to reign, and because he is superior to the prophets and angels, and because his kingdom will last forever, and because his years will have no end, and because he will triumph over all his enemies, and because he sends angels to minister to those who inherit salvation. That's why we should pay much closer attention to the message of Christ. Because all these things are true of Jesus. Wait a minute. Did you hear that? I think I just heard somebody in heaven drop a microphone. When we talk about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, I think that's worth a microphone drop. We serve a beautiful Savior. He's worth paying attention to and he's worth listening to. Amen? So in Matthew 17, 5, we have these words. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, if you look at the uh, passages in the Gospels that talk about Jesus' baptism, uh, God speaks at that time from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But when we get to Matthew 17, this is the Mount of Transfiguration where Christ is displayed in all of His glory before Peter, James, and John, and He has a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And when Peter is looking on, he suggests to Christ, well, maybe I should make a tabernacle for for you and for Moses and Elijah, like Moses and Elijah are just going to, you know, vacation here on the earth for a week and not go back up to heaven. But anyway... Then you hear, after Peter's declaration, you hear God speak from the clouds, and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It seems to be God the Father's will that we should listen to his Son, because that is the way he speaks to us today. So, what might cause us to drift from the message of Christ? Look at chapter 2, verse 1 one more time. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, what might cause us to drift away from the message of Christ? Kent Hughes suggests three things, and I want you to think of sort of the boat analogy and the winds and the waves and the tide and that kind of thing. He suggests three things might cause us to drift from Christ. First of all, the tide of years. In other words, over a period of time, you know, losing your passion and devotion for Christ. And for those of you that are a little older like me and maybe have walked with the Lord for 40 or 50 years, sometimes you get into a little bit of a funk and, and you lose that passion. You, you lose that devotion. And it's because we haven't paid much closer attention to the message. We haven't allowed it to wash over us time and time and time again. And when that happens, sometimes we can begin to drift. We can also drift by the tide of familiarity with the truth. In other words, when you're really familiar with something and you do hear it over and over and over again, it becomes familiar. And sometimes things that are familiar, it's just like a piece of furniture. You just never notice it. One more thing that can cause us to drift is the tide of busyness. The tide of busyness. And I think that happens a lot uh, in the American church. Our cares and duties of this world can overwhelm us and sometimes consume us. And so we don't focus on Christ and we begin to drift away. So how does a person pay much closer attention to the gospel so we don't drift from it? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few suggestions here, okay? We'll have the bullet points up on the screen. The first thing we must do to pay closer attention is we must receive the good news of Jesus Christ by faith and become a child of God. You see, we're all, before we're a child of God, we're not only drifting, we're not even close. But when Christ begins to pull us in, and then, we rec, and then he gives us the faith to believe. And so John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That was a verse as a freshman in college that really impacted me because I was a churchgoer all my life, and yet, and I would have told you, yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I had never received Jesus into my life and asked him to be my Lord and my Savior. So that's the first step, to receive Christ. And perhaps there's somebody here today that's never really received Christ, invited him into your life, and given and surrendered totally to Him. And that's what God is calling us to do, to receive His Son. I would say a second thing for those of us that especially have walked with the Lord for a while. We need to confess our lack of attention to the most life-changing message in history. We can just get caught up in our own world sometimes, in the outward world of of tasks and things that we are doing and responsibilities that we have. And so we can have a lack of attention. So when you recognize that, or when you recognize that your life in Christ is not vibrant, it's not alive, that that, that passion for, for worship and being in the Word and all of those things is just not there, you just need to confess that to the Lord. Lord, I am drifting from you and I need you desperately. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me recognize that new heart that you have given me in Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen three and 4, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel and what Paul was saying to the church is that Christ should be preeminent in your life here's the very most important thing that you should focus on from this point on in your walk with with God is Christ Um, one of the books that I use sometimes just to sort of renew me in the gospels it's a gospel is it primer or primer I can never remember that Either one, thank you. That that really makes me feel better. This is a gospel primer, or for those of you that don't like that, this is a gospel primer by uh, Milton Vincent, and in it is is just a beautiful poetic uh, narrative of the gospel. I mean, it's just beautiful, and it just covers all the different aspects of the gospel. And then I also like a chapter in here that has thirty-one different reasons for rehearsing the gospel on a daily basis. And you read through that list and you're thinking, why, am I, why, why is the gospel not of first importance and why am I not renewing my mind in the gospel every single day? See, this is a warning passage that we're looking at. And I want to strongly exhort you to pay attention to this passage. I don't really want you to be comfortable this morning. That is not my goal. I think it was D.L. Moody said that, yeah, my job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I'm here to afflict you today with this passage. Boom, poke, poke, poke. But this is this is a great book, all right, a gospel primer by, uh, what did I say, Milton Vincent, all right? Now, one of the quotes in the book is by C.J. Mahaney. Anybody ever heard of C.J. Mahaney or read a book by him, all right? He says, if there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only about sharing it, but we should be passionate about that as well. But he says, I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, and allowing it to color everything we look at in the world. In other words, it should just be this right in front of us so we see everything through the lens of of the gospel. Then he says this, only one thing... Can be of first importance to each of us. Right? Can't serve God and mammon, you have to make a choice. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and that one thing ought to be the gospel. You see, the gospel is not something that you, you know, God saves sinners, and I'm a sinner, and I come to God through Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Yes, that's the gospel. You receive that gospel, but you don't just leave it then and put it in park and go over here and live your life. No, you keep that right in front of you, which reminds you that you still have this sin nature in you, that God has saved you from the penalty of sin. He's in the process of saving you from the power of sin, and one day, praise God, he's going to save you from the presence of sin. The gospel needs to be of first importance. It needs to be a part of your life every single day. It should be the first thing we think about when we get up and the first thing we think about when, we, when our head hits the pillow is the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace. And this text is saying you need to pay much closer attention to that message, the gospel. One of the other things we can do is to ask others how they pay close attention to the gospel on a regular basis. And so I'll be the person you're asking right now. Thank you for asking. One of the other books I like to use is by Paul David Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies, A Daily Gospel Devotional. Man, I get up every day. I eat breakfast first. I have to admit that. I eat breakfast first. I've got to have energy for my devotions. I, I, you know, I've got to get going in the morning, have that coffee. As soon as I do this, I sit down and I read this entry for the day. And I have a couple of other devotionals that I do the same thing with. And it just gets the wheels moving in the right direction. Um, there's a, a statement he makes in this book, uh, Paul David Tripp. He says, forgetfulness, in other words, not paying much closer attention, forgetfulness seems like a minor thing right? I mean, we, we forget little things all the time. I mean, just ask my wife, Sharon. She'll tell you how many things I forget. It's, it's, you can't even count them in so many things. But forgetfulness is not a minor thing when it comes to the gospel of grace. Listen to what it robs you of. When you don't have the gospel of grace in front of you all the time, here's what you're robbing yourself of. First of all, worship. When your life is focused on you, and focused on the outer things of this world. Hey, folks, I hate to tell you, but there's not much there to worship. It robs you of your identity. You begin to see yourself the way the world sees you as opposed to the way God sees you in Christ. It robs you of your true identity. When you forget the gospel, it robs you of humility. Pride begins to creep in. You begin to think that you made yourself, that you accomplished this, that you accomplished that, it robs you of humility. It robs you of courage. <laughs> when I have the gospel in front of me and I think about what Christ did for me and how he has empowered me and how he's given me a boldness to the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, I can be courageous. When I only have the gospel in front of me, I'm very weak. And lastly, it robs you of hope. The gospel gives you hope. When you're not dwelling on the gospel, you may say you have hope, but it's nowhere to be seen because you haven't been dwelling, thinking, meditating on the gospel. Thank God he ordained us to remember the gospel of grace. That's his plan. He wants us to remember. He wants us to pay attention. Just quickly, another another thing you can do is set aside a fixed time for prayer and Bible study, all right? And I recommend first thing each day. I mean, other than maybe having coffee or breakfast first. After that first thing, have your time for prayer and Bible study. Here's Here's a good quote by Oswald Chambers. I think this is worth sharing. Oswald Chambers, which is another one of those devotional thoughts I get on email that I read every day, he says, the measure of the worth of our public activity for God, in other words, where does that worth come from in my public activity, is the private, profound communion we have with Him. What happens out there is a result of what happens in here. And so in here has to be worked on every day. With the gospel. And then I like this, I like this phrase. He says, We have to pitch our tents where we shall always have quiet times with God. Isn't that cool? I mean, even just having a spot in your home or on your porch or somewhere where you pitch your tents for a few minutes or a half hour, an hour, to have quiet times with God. Because folks, the world is a noisy place. Amen. If you don't pitch your tent, and spend time with God it's just a lot of white noise up there and it's going to rob you of things and it's going to rob you of ministry to other people as well I would recommend listening to gospel music or making a joyful noise to the Lord even if you can't sing you can always make a joyful noise so you know I I will sing I'll get this hymnal out and uh, I'll just go through and and sing a lot of the songs that I know and have sung in the past and, and songs that we sing now and just uh, sing to the Lord, and that renews me in the gospel. And then the last thing I like to encourage you to do is to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. That's another way of paying attention to the gospel, is sharing it. But you have to do these other things first so the gospel is part of you. And then when you're sharing it, you're sharing the story through your story to hopefully see another story in Christ. one of the things I like to share with people if I'm meeting them and, and I tell them I'm a pastor, or I just tell them I'm a follower of Christ, or whatever, uh, we may not have time for a full conversation where I can lay out the gospel step by step and all the background. But I like this little booklet. It's called Seven Wonders, and it answers life's most basic questions. And every question is pointed to the gospel. All right? It answers questions like why do I exist? Is there a God? Am I unique? Why is life so unfair? Why do I feel so alone? Why don't I do what I know I, I should do? And is there life after death? So all those questions are answered in here, and people are pointed to Christ. So I've, I've brought a few of these along, and if you want to see me afterwards, I'll be glad to, to give you one of those. Okay. So what will it take for us to pay attention to the good news of Jesus Christ and not drift away? It will take faith, intentionality, it'll take accountability, and it'll take perseverance. Faith, intentionality, accountability, and perseverance. So let me give you an assignment. I'd like, you to, I'd like for you to think of one thing you can do this week that will help you pay more careful attention to the gospel think of one thing and then i would like to ask you kindly request as one of your pastors that you email me do we have my email up there email me and let me know what that one thing is i'd love to hear from some of you just tell me well this is what i'm going to do to help me pay more attention to the gospel because i've shared a few thoughts with you but i'm sure there are many other things you can do to do that so let me know all right you up for that okay good So let's go back to Hebrews now and look at uh, verse 2. I'll read verse 1 again and lead into verse 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, the message declared by angels. What is the message declared by angels? Well, it's the Old Testament law, all right? You really don't see much, maybe a a little bit of inference to it in the Old Testament, but doesn't really say in the Old Testament that angels actually mediated the law. But uh, if you look at Galatians 3.19, Paul is talking to them about the promise of Christ, Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham was promised that one of his descendants, would the whole world would be blessed by that descendant. So Paul says to the Galatians, why then the law? In other words, if this there's this promise of a Messiah, why did God give the law? And He says it was added because of transgressions. In other words, if there a law if there's a law that says you know do not steal and you steal, you know you've broken the law. All right, it's made very clear. It was because of transgressions until the offspring, talking about Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So. God spoke his word to angels, and then angels spoke that word to Moses, and Moses spoke it to the children of Israel and recorded it for us to have. So when it says in this verse, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, okay, that's what it's talking about. Now look at the second part of verse 2. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, In other words, there were consequences when the Old Testament commandments were intentionally transgressed or disobeyed. There was a consequence. Here's the law. If you break it, here's the consequence. Let me give you one example. Um, Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments there in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, The fourth commandment uh, here in verse 8 through 10 is about the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What's it mean? Well, to set it apart for rest and reflection for worship. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Well, in Numbers 15, we see where that commandment was broken. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, and remember they were wandering around for 40 years because of their disobedience and not going into the land. They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So that message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, the commandment was not, it was unalterable, it was reliable. Once it was said, it was spoken, that was the law, it needed to be obeyed or else there were consequences, okay? Now, look at the first part of verse three. So if that was the case, if God through angels mediated this law, through angels and then through Moses, and it was a serious enough offense that at times a person was put to death by breaking the commandment, then it says, how shall we escape it? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, back to the message of Christ, back to the gospel. If these things happened as a result of a law that angels brought, what's going to happen to uh, the salvation that Christ brought and mediated for us? There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If they didn't escape in the Old Testament, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And remember that in chapter 1, Paul was saying, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, was saying that Christ is greater, superior to the prophets and to the angels. So if Christ is superior to angels, then his message, his covenant, the new covenant, is greater than the one, the old covenant. So if we see the consequences here in the Old Testament, then... This warning is saying to us, how can we neglect this law of love, this law of sacrifice, the the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we neglect that? And how can we expect to escape if we do neglect it and just sort of push it aside? All right? Well, here's an example of perhaps an unsaved person who is neglecting. Here's some of the consequences. John three sixteen through 18, you'll recognize these verses. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And if you look at Revelation 20, that condemnation eventually leads to the lake of fire. So that's the consequence for an unsaved person neglecting the gospel. You see, I think think the writer to the Hebrews basically was writing to Jewish believers. But within any community of faith, you're probably going to have people who are not born again, who are not filled with the Holy Spirit or who are not true believers, but they're attenders, and, and they're hearing the Word, and maybe they're growing in their understanding, but they haven't received Christ. So even in this, this, these, these Jewish believers, even within that group, you're going to have... So I think even though we're taking this as a letter that's written to believers, I think in any group of believers, you're going to have unbelievers. Now, I hope here this morning when you leave that there's not anybody that doesn't know Christ personally. But I think there's a warning here of drifting or neglecting the gospel for the unsaved. Now, how about the saved? How about those of us that know Christ, that are secure in Christ, that we have the the Holy Spirit as our guarantee, our, our guarantor? All right, what about us? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Just flip over, scroll your phone, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Because those of us that are in Christ, we as a church teach that you're secure in Christ. So what happens then when we neglect the gospel? Well, the Lord disciplines us. So look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Speaking to those that are saved, that are ch- children of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You really need to keep remembering that if you're going through some discipline the Lord's bringing into your life. Why does he do it? For retribution? For for punishment? No. To mature you. And he does it because he loves you and he does receive you. And that's what discipline is about, loving discipline. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is a way of life for those of us that follow Christ. Besides this, we have had an earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. There's the purpose. We're disciplined for our good to become more mature, more holy in Christ. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God loves you so much that when you begin to neglect Him and the message of Christ and the gospel and to focus on other things, as a loving Father who wants the best for you, He is going to bring some discipline into your life to help you repent and to confess that and to turn to him and to begin to think about and be involved in the gospel, to have it, have your mind renewed in the gospel all the time, to let, to let it be that lens that you see everything else, that it's of first importance again to you, that you have a passion and devotion. Aren't you glad the Father won't let go of you? I sure am. Because I mean we let go of him at times and even though our salvation is is secure we're we're going to lose blessings from not staying and not abiding in that now go back to Hebrews chapter 2 and let's look at the last part of verse 3 and then chapter and then verse 4 how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation it was declared at first by the lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while god also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will so this great message of salvation was declared in three ways first of all by the lord here's what he said and what it says in mark chapter 1 14 and 15 now after john referring to john the baptist was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news that I come to bring. So the Lord declared the gospel himself. Then it was declared by those who heard the gospel, the apostles, the early disciples. In Acts 4, when Peter and John are standing before the religious leaders, part of the Sanhedrin, and they're defending themselves about how they healed a man that was was lame from birth, this is what was said. They said this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Disciples spoke up. They were bold. They weren't intimidated at all. And the thing that gives me the most hope about this is that they were uneducated, common men. In other words, common people filled with the Holy Spirit are uncommon people in Christ. We can have that same kind of boldness if the gospel is living and active in our life and if we're not afraid to declare it. And then finally, God himself bore witness to the message through four things. First of all, through signs. Uh, John 20, 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs. John has a series of signs that are revealed about, to, to, uh, that God uses to reveal Christ as the Messiah. He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The signs were there to help people believe in Christ. And then wonders. So in Acts 2.43, says this about the early church. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I pray that all the time for our church that there will be a sense of of awe that will come upon us. Not a man-made or a created thing or personality thing, but just the awe of God would fall upon us. In other words, a, a type of Holy Spirit movement among us that just sort of unsettles us and helps us to really focus on what God wants to do in our lives as individuals and families and as a church body. That type of awe. Would you join me in praying for that? That God will give us an awe that there will be signs and wonders, miracles and gifts of the Spirit. And then thirdly, God created miracles here. Uh, regarding this lame man that was healed in, in Acts chapter 3, it says "But Peter said, he's speaking to this lame man who's begging for money. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What did Peter have? He had the good news of Jesus. He had, he had the good news of Jesus. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Lisa Boyd, did you hear that? His feet and, his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. And I love this. Walking, leaping, and praising God. I'd also like to see our congregation do that a little more often, too. I'd like to see you walking in here, doing a little leaping, praising God, you know? People looking at you and thinking, that person is crazy. And then you say, that's right, crazy for Jesus. And then gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so God is using all of these supernatural things to affirm and confirm the gospel message. So in conclusion, now, when a pastor says in conclusion, what what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't mean anything because a pastor's conclusion can be five minutes or 50 minutes or, you know, past lunch, whatever. No, I have a short conclusion. Great neglect begins with small drifting. Because see, this, this passage talks about not paying attention, neglecting. Well, great neglect just begins with small drifting. It's a little by little by little by little, and then pretty soon you're down the glory hole, okay? So this first warning passage in Hebrews is directed to the person. Now listen to these things who's let the greatness of Christ slip away. That's who this is being spoken to, people who have let the greatness of Christ slip away. The person who no, who lo, who no longer marvels at the atonement. It's become too familiar. It's, it's, it's lost its, its sense of awe and wonder, and the, the person is not on fire for it. The person who no longer has desire for the word. If you find yourself out of the Word for a long period of time, you are in big trouble. Again, remember, I'm here to afflict you this morning. But it's true. No desire for the Word means no desire for the Gospel. No desire for the Gospel means no desire for Christ. The Word is Christ's Word. If you love a person, you read their love letters over and over and over again. And the Bible is God's love letter to you. This warning is for the person who really does not pray in his spirit. He just goes through the motions in his prayer. The person who is drifting back to where he came from and has little concern about his drifting. Not a big deal. I'll I'll get closer to God tomorrow. I'm too busy today. That's who this warning is for, that person. Here's a great quote by John Calvin. Anybody ever know John? Anybody ever meet him? Oh, that's good. That's real good. I think he died in the 1500s, I think. but He says, It is not only the rejecting of the gospel, but even the neglecting of it that deserves the severest penalty in view of the greatness of the grace which is offered in it. Did you catch that? Not just the rejecting, but the neglecting that deserves severest penalty. God wishes his gifts. Is the gospel a gift? Yeah. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. It's a gift. And God wishes his gifts to be valued by us at their proper worth. How much is the gospel worth? The gospel of grace, the promise of eternal life, forgiveness, a home in heaven. I mean, in my mind, it's, it's like the pearl of great price. I go out and sell everything I have to purchase that pearl, that one thing that's most important. The gospel is that one thing. The good news of Jesus is that one thing. So everything you have should be at God's disposal for the, for the gospel. The more precious they are, talking about these, this, these gifts, the more precious they are, the baser is our ingratitude if they do not have their proper value for us. In accordance with the greatness of Christ, so will be the severity of God's vengeance on all despisers of the gospel. In accordance with the greatness of Christ, so will be the severity of God's vengeance on all despisers of the gospel. Tough words to hear. I don't like hearing these words myself as I'm saying them. But we need to hear them. I remember when I uh, got out of college and started teaching fifth graders at Westville Middle School, there would come a time about every two to three weeks when we'd have, a, have to have a come to Jesus moment with the class. You know what I mean? In other words, you give them a little bit of rope. You're kind of trusting them to kind of work in some teams. You know, somebody wants to whisper something during a study time or whatever. You let it go for a while, but pretty soon, eventually, things get out of control. And that's when you have to stand up, take your gavel, slam it down, or your hand on that or whatever, and you have to say, okay, let's talk. It's come that time, right? So these warnings bring us to that point. It's come time to get serious. If we neglect the great salvation we have through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, we'll drift from our faith and suffer the consequences. We will not lose our salvation. That is secure in Christ, okay? But this is what we will lose. We'll lose the daily blessings of our salvation peace and joy, purpose and assurance. Those are the things that we'll lose. If you don't want to drift spiritually, let the gospel, the good news of Christ, be your anchor. We we sang about Christ being our anchor. When Jesus is your anchor, you don't have to fear the wind and waves of the world. When you cling to Jesus as your anchor, you will not be moved in Christ. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In other words, Christ ushers us into the very presence of God. Jesus is our steadfast anchor my exhortation, my encouragement to you this morning is hang on to Jesus and never let go. Not even one day. So how are you going to pay much closer attention to the message of Christ this week? I want you to think about that. So let's pray.